Hello, Grace family. My name is Tim and I'm the campus pastor at our Half Moon location. I have the privilege of bringing you today's message. And today we're in Acts chapter two. We're gonna cover some ground through this chapter and I would love for you to follow along. So wherever you find yourself right now, go and find a Bible. I'll wait here. Did you get your Bible? Great, now pick it up or open the app and turn with me to Acts chapter two. It's in the New Testament right after the gospel of John. Now, last week we saw the disciples, the followers of Jesus standing in a crowd of people speaking different languages, languages of the people who were in Jerusalem at the time and languages of the people who were actually in that crowd. There were people all the way from Rome to Egypt and everywhere in between. All were Jewish by origin, but through years have settled in different areas of the known world. And they traveled back to Jerusalem for a religious festival, specifically Pentecost, which was one of the second annual harvest festivals. And this festival was 50 days after Passover. Now, many Jews who lived outside of Palestine would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. So those who were present at this time all had the same religious understanding. They were practicing Jews but they spoke different languages. And the followers of Jesus, you know, the ones who had, who had experienced as Acts chapter two, verse three says, what seemed to be tongues of fire landing on their heads, they all of a sudden began to speak in other languages, specifically the languages of those present in the crowd. And as Jesse mentioned last weekend, all who were with them were amazed and perplexed. Of course they were. And they began to say to each other, what does this mean? And of course they would say that. And I love what Acts chapter two, verse 13 says. Some made fun of them, said, and they said, they've had too much wine. Now that was last week. And if you wanna hear the start to this crazy but true story, I would love for you to find that message on our website or on YouTube. It's worth your time. So as we pick up the scene here today, we're going to see a very ordinary man make some extraordinary claims that began a movement that changed the world. So let's pick it up. Acts chapter two, verse 14. The crowd has just demanded answers. How is it that you, mere humans from Galilee, can speak in such languages? I mean, that's a good question, right? If you went to the farthest ends of the earth, a place where the written word has never been established and no speak, English speaking person has ever stepped foot and you got out of your seaplane because there's no airports and a representative of a random tribe you didn't know existed until now begins to talk to you in perfect English. You would want to know what's up. How did this happen? So let's go. Acts chapter two, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Immediately, I want you to notice something here. This is Peter. You know, Peter, the disciple of Jesus who always seemed to do the wrong thing, who failed to walk on water all the way to Jesus because he was filled with fear who couldn't stay awake when Jesus needed him the most in the garden right before Jesus was arrested, who just 50 days before this event denied knowing Jesus three separate times. And now he's taking a stand in front of a large crowd to explain what's going on. This ought to be interesting. 
I mean, could you just imagine what the other disciples were thinking at this very moment? No, Peter, stop talking. Peter, your mouth has gotten you into so much trouble before. Don't do it again. Not here. There's way too many people, literally thousands of people listening. Throughout the gospels, Peter was always the first to move and he almost always got it wrong. But Peter took action and he addressed this Jewish crowd. Continuing in verse 15, Peter says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now this was a festival and like festivals or state fairs or backyard barbecues, drinking was involved. But in Jewish culture, not at nine in the morning. You know the phrase, it's five o'clock somewhere. You may be familiar with that phrase. That phrase was not in their vocabulary. It was nine in the morning. No one is drunk. And Peter goes on. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved." Now, this is a direct quote from the book of prophecy in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. Peter is quoting or reading from Joel chapter two. It's a brilliant move, Peter. Being a Jewish audience, they would be familiar with Jewish scripture. So Peter uses the prophecy that most of them would have studied or even memorized at some point in their lives to point to the events happening now. The prophecy here is that in the last days, God will pour out his spirit. You know, I think when we hear the words last days, we think end of the world last days. Not so here. In Jewish thought and writing, last days is when the Messiah is ruling. The rescuer, the son of God will come to earth and he will rule or reign in the kingdom that he established. Peter explains to his audience that it's in these last days that we're in. We're in the time of the Messiah. We're the one who has, the Israel has been waiting for. The work of salvation has been completed. It's like Peter is saying, hey, y'all, this shouldn't surprise you. You know the scriptures, this was always supposed to happen. And the inauguration of these last days means that God's spirit will be poured out. And according to the prophecy in Joel, everyone will be filled with the spirit. It says, your sons and your daughters, your young men, your old men, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is Peter's explanation of the spirit on people and why they are capable of speaking different languages. They're not drunk. They have the spirit of God within them. Side note, I love this. God is pouring out his spirit on all people all people. This was different. God's spirit wasn't just for the spiritual elite anymore. It's not just for the religious leaders or the prophets like it was in the Old Testament, where the spirit of God would empower specific individuals to do certain tasks. But here, God's spirit is not just for the select few. 
No, not just for seminary students, not just for teachers, not just for pastors. God's spirit was poured out onto all people, according to verse 21, who call on the name of the Lord and are saved. So a close relationship with God is not reserved for those who are religious authorities. Not in Acts chapter two and not today. In fact, Jesus is recorded in the gospel of John saying, my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. Even James, the brother of Jesus in his writing said, come near to God and he will come near to you. A close intimate relationship with God is available to all. Back to the story. At this point, the crowd is probably thinking, okay, so they're not drunk. Okay. The spirit, God's spirit is here with these people. Okay. I still don't get it. So Peter goes on. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This is great. As you yourselves know, Peter is pointing out that those in the crowd that day either have had firsthand eyewitness knowledge of Jesus's miracles because they were there, or they probably know someone who was there. They saw the signs. They saw the healing. They saw the feeding of the 5,000. Some of them maybe even benefited from it. Verse 23, the man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. They saw the signs. They saw the miracles and they heard about the actions of Jesus, but they missed it. They missed how their holy scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament, how it pointed to Jesus, how it put Jesus on display as this Messiah who would serve, die and save. How often is God showing himself to us? How many times does it take for him to speak, but we're too busy or too stuck in our ways to hear it? We have the volume of everything turned up so much that we still, we miss the still small voice of God's prompting in our lives. It's like a college student cramming for a final exam. Have you ever been there? I have working so hard at making sure they have the right answers and they know the right things that they actually miss the email from the professor that states, based on schedule conflicts, the final exam will be pushed one day up. See you soon. And that student who was working so hard for the grade that they missed the email shows up to class that day after the final in order to take the final exam. They missed it. For those in the crowd that are beginning to understand, that are putting Peter's words together and are realizing that they just showed up late for the final exam. Imagine the disappointment. Imagine the, the humiliation. They were so focused on doing religion and doing religion right that they missed the one who was sent by God himself. Himself. 
But we can assume that not everyone was getting it at this point because Peter keeps talking. In fact, Peter takes the argument to a whole new level. He was playing in the minor leagues before in this speech, and now he has just graduated to the majors. Because at this very next statement, he had the attention of everyone. Verse 25. David said about him, David. This is Israel's favorite person, King David, the beloved first king of Israel. You want to grab the attention of a first century Jewish crowd? You talk about King David. You're telling me that King David talked about Jesus? You got my attention. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made me, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Now, Peter's quoting again, and it's brilliant. Here, he's quoting Psalm 16, eight through 11, where David is laying out a prophecy of one whose body will not see decay and one who will sit at the right hand of God. Many Jews thought David was referring to himself in some way, but Peter knows that's not true. In fact, many there knew that wasn't true. In verse 29, it says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day, probably nearby. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. David died and he couldn't have been talking about himself. So if, it was, if, you know, if he wasn't talking about himself, then who was David talking about? Someone from David's line that will conquer death. And we know from the very first chapter in the very first verse of Matthew that Jesus was a descendant of David. And we know from the eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus after he died, that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. And since Jesus is the only one who conquered death and is a descendant of David, he must be the Messiah. So Peter wraps up his speech with a single statement. Verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The one who was sent to rescue people from their sin. The one who would establish a new kingdom. The one who would be present with those who call on his name through the spirit that is poured out by God. This is Jesus. Now, can you imagine what the crowd was thinking at this point? They didn't just miss the final exam. They missed it and failed it at the same time. Verse 37, 
When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I mean, what can you do? Is there anything you can do when you've messed up so much that it seems impossible to recover? When it seems too late? Or when you think you've gone too far? That's what this crowd was experiencing. It finally clicked that they missed the boat, that they're up a creek without a canoe, with no idea how to fix it. What do you do? Luckily, Peter had an idea. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what can we do, Peter, when we've realized that we've, mess, that we've missed it, that we've messed up? When we finally understand that Jesus alone is the answer and all the religious rituals we've tried to do to make ourselves right or righteous before God haven't worked, what can we do? Repent and be baptized. You know, growing up, I hated the word repent. I always associated that word repent with crazy people on the street corner, with people crying out, turn or burn or repent for the end is near. And if I'm completely honest with you today, I still don't like this word. It's been robbed in my mind by those communicating the hope of Christ in an unhelpful way. But oh well, here's the word, (laughs) right in Peter's response to the crowd. So in my mind, I have to redefine it. I have to put to the side, the turn or burn images and simply look at the word itself. Because if we truly look at the word, it's actually really simple. It's a pivot. It's a 180 degree pivot. And it's not just a mental pivot where you change your mind, but not your actions. It's a whole body change of direction. So these Jewish listeners were living in a way that treated Jesus like he wasn't Lord and Messiah. Peter was calling them to make a 180, to live in a way that acknowledged Jesus as Lord and Messiah. It's turning away from the life that you've been living. You're living in sin, but God has rescued you from your sin. Walk away from the sin that so easily entangles and walk toward the freedom in Christ following him with everything that you've got. Wayne Grudem, a theologian and professor says it this way, repentance is an intellectual understanding that sin is wrong and an emotional approval of the teachings of scripture regarding sin and a personal decision to turn from it. It's a body, mind and soul decision to follow the life and teachings of Jesus and to acknowledge him as Lord. He says, repent and be baptized. And baptism is simply an outward expression of that decision, an act of going public with the faith that you have. And hear this, this message is not just for those who were there with Peter and the other disciples 2000 years ago. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God will call. For all who are far off, that's the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people 
who would hear the message of Christ back then and who would hear it today. That's us. We can today make that decision to call Jesus Lord, to place our faith in him and acknowledge him as savior, the one who can rescue us from sin and restore us into a right relationship with God. In fact, on our website, you can find a good amount of information on what it means to take that step by clicking next steps and then clicking salvation. And if you reach out to our staff, we would love to talk to you about how you can make that decision for yourself. So we saw Peter. We saw that he explained to Jewish listeners that Jesus is the Messiah and Lord. Now I wanna take a quick moment to just acknowledge something. This was Peter. Remember Peter? Peter just eloquently and precisely communicated the gospel. He preached to the very, he, he kind of preached the very post, the very first post-ascension sermon. This was Peter. I'm just gonna let that sink in. This was Peter. You know, the one who failed to walk on water? The one who fell asleep on watch? The one who denied knowing Jesus three times? How is it possible that this failure of a man just spoke what we have been reading today? Answer, the Holy Spirit. God's personal presence who God sends to us when we believe. Look, before the spirit was with Peter, Peter was all in, right? But he had all the right desire to follow and obey Jesus. But because of God's personal presence wasn't with him to strengthen, to strengthen him, he ended up failing at it time and time again. Peter's spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. Now with the spirit, Peter had the right actions to go with the right desire his confidence, his boldness, and the ability to do what he just did before this huge crowd came directly from the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. I mean, that's probably why Jesus said, stay in the room before you get the Spirit. Don't go anywhere. He knew that it wouldn't go well if the disciples tried to do it on their own before they had the Spirit in them. It'd be like walking on water all over again. And in the same way, without the Spirit, we can have all the right desire in the world to do the right thing, but we will fail. We can't obey Jesus by ourselves. If you've ever, ever tried to live the Christian life by your own strength, you know this, it's not possible. We cannot measure up. But with the spirit, you can get the right actions to go with your right desire. You see the spirit enables and empowers us to follow Jesus's commands. Therefore, the Christian life isn't just about knowing the truth or the right answers. The Christian life is about learning to walk with the spirit because as you do, he will produce spiritual maturity in you that you cannot produce on your own. Think about it this way. This Christmas, you're going to get the brand new Xbox Series X video gaming system, which is supposed to be the fastest system on the market. It's designed for speed and fast processing with true 4K gaming and 12 teraflops of power. I don't even know what that means. 
It's been so intricately designed that its creators at Microsoft call it the most powerful gaming system ever. It's so amazing that when you get it at Christmas, because it's not out yet, you tear open the box and you start setting it up. You cannot wait to see how the specs and features work together to create an unparalleled gaming experience. But there's one glaring issue. There's no power cord. There's no way to plug it in. So there's no way to experience the masterpiece that it was designed to be. You see, we're like a cordless Xbox Series X. We can't do what we're made to do and what we're called to do by God without the spirit that comes from the, the power that comes from the Holy Spirit living within us. We can't do this 180 degree pivot without the spirit's power. You know, 10 days before this, Jesus himself said to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Paul prays in Ephesians chapter three saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The spirit gives the power and the spirit strengthens us to try to do what God calls us to do without that power is futile. But here's the good news. As Peter showed those who listened at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit isn't just an added bonus that some Christians have. It's not just a reward for the super spiritual among you. It's a gift to all who call upon the name of the Lord. The Spirit is for all who believe in Jesus. Now, one last thing before we end here. In verse 41, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, records this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Not only has Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so perfectly summed up the gospel, he just launched what would be known as the greatest and most powerful movement in human history. 3,000 people were added that day to what is now called the church. And God, through the empowerment of his spirit, uses people like Peter, like Paul, like Martin Luther, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Billy Graham, like me and you. God uses them to continue to build his church. Jesus moved all of his chips in on Peter in this moment but he also gave Peter what he needed to make it happen. And Jesus has moved all of his chips in on us to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the world, but we cannot do it. So we walk with the spirit. So as you walk this week, pay attention to the spirit. Because if you're a follower of Christ, the spirit is with you, teaching you, leading you and empowering you to do what God has called you to do. And in our home group discussion questions this week, we'll direct you to take a closer look at what it means to walk in step with the spirit and to help you pay attention to the, what the spirit is doing. And as you pay attention, watch what God does in you.
And then watch, get, watch what God does through you. Because as we've seen today, a very ordinary man made some extraordinary claims that began a movement that changed the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we have your word that we can experience what happened 2000 years ago, that we can see the start of your church through the power of your spirit. God, I pray that as, this, as we walk this week, we would be in step with your spirit. Give us the power, give us the grace, and give us the peace to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.